0: Welcome to a special episode of Forty Five Days, KUER's political podcast. I'm Nicole Nixon. Voters in Salt Lake City will elect a new mayor this November. The seat is open following current Mayor Jackie Biskupski's decision not to seek reelection. We know a couple things already about who will lead the capital city next. One shall be a Democrat, and two shall be a woman. Over the next four years, she'll also have the chance to lead the city on big issues like air quality, homelessness, and the inland port. Earlier this week, I sat down with the two candidates over two consecutive evenings at the business incubator, Church and State in downtown Salt Lake City, in front of a live audience. Now we're sharing highlights from those two conversations. First, we'll hear from Salt Lake City Councilwoman Erin Mendenhall. She's served on the city council for six years and represents Liberty Wells, Ballpark, and the 9th and 9th neighborhoods. She also co-founded the clean air advocacy group Breathe Utah. I started by asking Mendenhall a question we ask a lot around here. Are you from Salt Lake?
1: I say I am. I moved to Salt Lake Valley as a seven-year-old girl. I ended up moving to 9th and 9th two days after I graduated from high school, and I've lived in basically a one-mile radius around the 9th and 9th neighborhood for the last 22 or so years.
0: So what made you get started in local politics?
1: I grew up with a mom who calls herself a hippie and a father who passed away when I was a young teenager. And so I think in a lot of ways I grew up fast, but I also grew up feeling like... Um, I could protest, I could attend rallies, and I could have my voice heard. I was a young 20-year-old learning about how very deeply environmental policy ends up impacting our lives, and uh, it piqued my interest, especially when my first child was born, and air quality had never impacted me. It had never mattered so much to me as when I finally had that baby in my arms. And at that point, I no longer felt like showing up to protest was getting my voice far enough for the impact I wanted to make on changing the reality that we live and breathe in here as Utahns, particularly in Salt Lake.
0: So that's one of your priorities, and it has been on the city council. You say it will be as mayor. What can the city do to make a noticeable difference on this issue, particularly as the state and as the city continue to grow? Let's zoom out
1: from air quality for a moment to the climate change level and talk about our franchise agreement with Rocky Mountain Power. And back in the Becker administration, he started to renegotiate what ended up being the most progressive um, franchise agreement with a power company anywhere in the country. Five-year agreement where you agree to help us meet our appropriately aggressive climate change goals of carbon reduction. And that goal at this point is a 2030 goal, for carbon neutrality. We know, though, now that CO2 emissions have surpassed what our expectations were back when that 2030 goal was set. We know we need renewable energy much faster. We need to reduce those carbon emissions faster. So that contract is up in 2020. We begin that negotiation next year, and our next mayor begins to talk with Rocky Mountain Power about how are we gonna get that power here faster, and we need it here really by 2023. So that's at the macro level for Utah, because those coal-fired power plants are not in our Salt Lake Valley, and frankly, those emissions aren't blowing into, into this valley. So when we zoom down to air quality at the local level, there's a lot we can do. One of those things, as you know, Nicole, uh, vehicles are the number one source of emissions for the time being. In the coming five or six years, they anticipate buildings will surpass vehicle emissions. But for the meantime, you know, we're doubling our population along the Wasatch Front in the coming decades. We're doubling the amount of vehicles, basically, on the road, and we must make it easier for people to come in and out and live within Salt Lake City without getting in a single-occupant vehicle. We have to make it easier, and we have to make it cheaper. There's a lot of other things from switching out our dirty snowblowers and lawnmowers, the way the state has It's an incredibly popular program for relatively little money. I want to see Salt Lake City repeat that carrot program, as they call it, at the state level.
0: Yeah, I noticed that you have a few goals in this area, like expanding bus routes and expanding the Hive Pass discounted UTA passes to businesses and employees in Salt Lake City. I was just wondering why not push for free public transit in Salt Lake City the way that a couple other candidates did in the primary?
1: We need to be strategic about our investments and I think we do get to a free transit system. Absolutely we do. But for us to uh, Pay for that now to UTA for all 200,000 plus of our residents, when really fewer than 100,000 people in Salt Lake City can use transit easily. We're subsidizing something that most of us can't use. So I think it's about turning those levers together as we crank up usability of our system. So we get to the free transit, but I'm also, I've been on the city council for six years. We oversee the budget of the city. I know how tight the money is, and for us to make those kind of investments without it being usable, I think, is frankly too soon.
0: Um, So I want to go now to the inland port. Um, You have had a key role in getting that where it is now, Um, but because of your involvement, I think there might be a little bit of this perception out there that you support the inland port or that you're helping the state move that along. Maybe that be- came after the city council finalized this $28 million tax break for a developer out there. Can you go back, one, and explain what happened there? And two, what are your plans for the inland port if you are elected?
1: Salt Lake City has never been asked the question, do you want an inland port? That's never been an opportunity for us to discuss either as a council or a community or a mayor. The state said to Salt Lake City, if you don't go play ball as the city is supposed to and working with property owners, we're going to do it for you. And so at that time, uh, Mayor Baskoopsi, I think, made a really wise choice, actually, which was to keep the state out of the conversation and work with the property owners to develop a master plan for that area north of I-80, and then ultimately to execute a development agreement, which is a legal contract between property owners and the city to say, as long as you develop according to this plan that we agreed upon, we uh, can set up a process where you can receive tax reimbursement. So it's not a tax breakout rate. It's a reimbursement for them developing things like streets, street lighting, public utilities. She executed that final contract right at the beginning of the 2018 legislative session with, I think, eyes wide open that if we don't do this, we knew legislation was coming. Well, sure enough, She signs that contract in January. Come March of that same legislative session, they pass the biggest abomination the state has ever passed against any city. And that took 100% of our future tax revenue and an ability to override our land use decisions for a quarter of our city. Well, the short story is they tried to negotiate. Uh, She became frustrated with the negotiation and walked away from it. And the state at that point said, it's in law. If you don't want to come and negotiate with us, we're going to roll ahead. They didn't need us. And that's when the city council decided unanimously to go back and try to fight for some improvements for the city, for our residents, for our taxpayers. Things like demand police service, water, sewer, streets, infrastructure out there. That by the state constitution, we're required to provide as a city, but all of us would have been paying for it and they wouldn't have had to pay for anything. And so fast forward to a few weeks ago when those, some of those property owners said, now we're ready to take one of the first steps that we signed in the contract. If the city council would have voted no, we could have been found in breach of contract. And I don't even think that they would have taken the time to go to the 3rd District Court and sue us for violating our contract because the Inland Port Authority already drew all of that land into their boundaries in anticipation of us losing our seat at the table. I will not stand for Salt Lake City to lose another 7,000 acres to the Inland Port Authority. And I don't know that people quite understand the reality we were faced with this was the best choice to keep Salt Lake City at the table and prevent the state from taking over. They've talked about, they being the legislature, have talked about the probability of there being legislation every year on the Inland Port as it develops. So going forward, Salt Lake City needs to be anticipating and managing as best as possible every year the legislation that's opened on the Inland Port Authority. I think that the temperament of our mayor and her ability to work with and stand up for her city at the same time is going to greatly determine the outcomes of our city's future with the inland port. We have environmental justice issues in this area. We have one of the most sensitive wetlands and migratory bird pathways in this area. We have worked hard to protect those areas, but it's not enough. We can't just be yelling from city hall. We have to be there.
0: You support a zero-emissions port. Is that possible? Is there anything like that out there? And how do you convince the Republican-majority legislature to go for something like that?
1: There's not a port in the world as clean as our port would have to be. We should not, for a second, accept anything less. And the framework that we have is that we are in serious non-attainment with the Clean Air Act. And so there's a very real construct that things need to happen in. I don't know that we can predict how clean this port can be because, frankly, I don't know if there's one that has been developed in a serious non-attainment area. Um, And definitely the technologies are improving all of the time, but we don't know yet. They haven't come up with their business plan yet either. And these are all both reasons to be concerned and big question marks for everyone.
0: We should point out they're still in these very, very early planning stages in it. Will probably be years before anything is out there, right? We hope so. The the streets (laughs) and and the warehouses that are being built now,
1: and the city's filed an injunction to hopefully prohibit them from being able to act with any of our taxing dollars in the meantime. Okay.
0: Um, So I want to switch to homelessness now. We have three new resource centers coming online. One is open. A second is just a few days away from being able to accept um, taking people in. And a third in South Salt Lake has had several construction delays now. The road home was supposed to be closed by now, but it is still operating. So... This is all a big collaboration between the state, the county, the city, and nonprofits, Um, but what sort of responsibility does the city have in making sure that people have a place to sleep at night, especially when temperatures start dropping? Will there be enough beds when the road home closes, and what do you do if not? We are the
1: capital city. We have the greatest concentration of services for individuals experiencing homelessness, Uh, and whether they're housed or not, Homeless residents are our neighbors, and we need to take care of them. Now, there's been a lot of talk about beds and capacity and comparing the Road Home to the three new homeless resource centers, and so we've been working on expanding access to housing, So growing our affordable housing, but also helping people stay in housing and helping people get back into it before they have to become homeless or be able to find resources. I have major concerns, particularly for Salt Lake City, when the road home closes and wintertime comes. I think that it will take some time for people in who are experiencing homelessness in that community to transition into the homeless resource centers. And then there will be a shelter-resistant portion of the population. We're looking at single-room occupancy houses. So that's one of the ways that we can perhaps address that shelter-resistant population. I'll mention one other thing that I think is the city's opportunity and responsibility when it comes to helping on this issue. That is to be the catalyst to bring together all of those big players in Salt Lake City realm who really can have an impact because it affects their values. So I'm talking, yes, about the state, I'm talking about the county, but I'm talking about the business community, I'm talking about the universities. It is hard on our economy. It's hard to attract people to work here, to invest here, when they're having to step over so many people just to walk down the street from a humanitarian perspective the economy. So I don't want to see us get these three homeless resource centers open, the road home closed, and slap our hands and say, great job, we're done. There is absolutely more work that needs to be done, and we need to be planning for that bridge of how to get there.
0: We have a couple audience questions on this topic. So one person wants to know, as homeless populations scatter, crime is increasing in new areas. How would you balance maintaining safe communities with providing support to individuals?
1: Uh, we have worked to bring back the bike squad. That was something that we had in Salt Lake City until the recession. It was cut uh, for financial reasons, and I brought it back about four years ago. That's been made a, a better police presence of proactive policing and eyes on the street, and yet here we still are. And so we listened to the community, and they said, we want a pilot park ranger program. We want you to have more of a presence in these big public spaces so that it feels safe And just this year, in June, the city council and the mayor administration, we put together a pilot park ranger program. We can't lose our parks to a feeling of unsafety and criminal activity. I think the answers come from hearing what the community councils and the neighbors and the local businesses who are living this. That's really where my passion has been over the last six years of working as a councilwoman, listening to the community and then figuring out how to make it happen at the city level.
0: Another listener asked, what will be your litmus test for whether the new homeless resource center model is meeting the needs of our city? If you determine that there aren't enough beds in this new model, what will be your plan going forward?
1: That is a wonderful question that the Shelter of the Homeless Board and the Department of Workforce Service are trying to come up with some measures. I should say I'm optimistic that they're coming up with a plan But I don't want to wait for the litmus test to be that people are freezing and dying on our streets. We need a plan far before that. And in the meantime, if those homeless resource centers are full and people want to access services and are unable to, then we need to be having this conversation with the state and the county about where is the next homeless resource center. It's not going to be in Salt Lake City. It's probably not going to be in South Salt Lake But this is a statewide issue, and the state needs to be leading this conversation. If there are people wanting services and they cannot access it because the shelters are full, then we need another shelter. That is a real obvious reality that we will be able to measure. So where we go from there, we'll be needing to work with our service providers, our county, and our state partners.
0: Um, The state is growing at a very rapid rate. How do you plan to balance growth and a need for housing, especially affordable housing, with the city's residential areas.
1: Part of what makes us so unique on the national level, as a capital city especially, is our many intact historic neighborhoods. They are very integral and part of the characteristic of this city, and yes, they are threatened with growth. When we look at areas like Sugar House in particular, I think it's important to recognize that we saw this growth coming decades ago. And Salt Lake City, as the redevelopment agency, as we do often, went to the community and said, we're growing. How we grow matters to us. Would we rather grow along 11th East, 9th East, 6th East, and let apartment buildings replace homes that are there today? and spread that density out, or would we rather concentrate that density and create what has come to be a second downtown today? And it was a deliberate decision those decades ago to concentrate that growth and preserve our neighborhoods in a more significant way. So fast forward 30 years into the future, Sugar House is tall, it is dense, it is still growing taller, and yet there are, for the most part, quite intact neighborhoods right next door to it. And I think as we grow into the future, we have to continue having these conversations with the neighborhoods and the communities. What do we want to grow like? Growth is not changing, and the majority of that growth is our own kids. And each and every project area is different, it should be, but it's about having those conversations at the neighborhood level and making those decisions together.
0: What are your plans to utilize or revitalize the west side? Salt Lake City
1: developed a Westside Master Plan just a few years ago when I was on the council. And we have begun to implement the Westside Master Plan. But even still, today, it's really hard to get a cup of coffee on the West Side. It's hard to find daycare. You can't really meet me for a breakfast burrito over at 9th and 9th West. And those kind of daily... Um, access to the economy, access to the, the kind of infrastructure that attracts investment is still woefully inadequate. So we've, we've developed a nine-line master plan intended to attract the kind of development and investment in the West Side that makes it more livable. Beside improving uh, the infrastructure and the economics of the West Side itself, we need to talk about access to the rest of the city And much of our west side is isolated by freeways and rail lines. Our transit system is another way that we can improve livability on the west side of our city. We also know that the majority of the kids in Salt Lake City per capita live on the west side of Salt Lake City. And many of those young students go to East High School up on 13th East. And so it was really important that we installed the Ninth South Circulator Bus, which has been online for about a month now. And it runs seven days a week, about every 15 minutes most of those days. And it connects the west side to the east side. But I'll tell you also that we need to increase uh, representation on our boards and commissions and access to City Hall itself. City Hall needs to keep leaving City Hall and going into the community to listen, not requiring people to come to us. And then even the way we approach our boards and commissions, which are volunteer and make a lot of important decisions and recommendations in our city, it is very, very little money for Salt Lake City to consider giving someone a childcare stipend or a meal stipend or a lift reimbursement. How do we eliminate those barriers that get more diversity of our community represented in the decisions that our boards and our commissions and all of these forms of government are taking? There's a lot of things we can do.
0: Um, One more question about apartments. There are thousands of new apartments in Salt Lake City. There are tens of thousands of new residents. How will all of this affect property taxes in the city?
1: Property taxes have mostly been rising, as you all know, and this is particularly threatening to people on a fixed income. And we in Salt Lake City government, we want Salt Lake City to be a place where And the whole spectrum of age can be here and age in place. So on the city council, we talked about accessory dwelling units, which are I wish we would have called the cabana ordinance because (laughs) it would make a lot more sense. Accessory dwelling units are kind of the mother-in-law concept, whether it's in your basement or your attic or it's a separate building. We were hearing from residents saying, I'm on a fixed income or I'm looking at retirement. And my property tax keeps going up year over year, and I don't know how I'm going to be able to afford to stay in my home if I could use the equity I have in my home to build this apartment and be able to select who lives in there. And that person could help me do everything from shovel the sidewalks to keep the eyes on the property. The owner stays on the property and they're able to create a stream of income for themselves that helps them to age in place. Now this is not affordable housing. These units would be, they're fairly expensive to construct and there's a lot of guidelines or rather um, regulations about how they're done, but that's a way that we allow affordability for people to be able to age in place.
0: Um, What specifically would you do to attract tech companies to come to Salt Lake City or relocate to downtown?
1: We don't have to invent the wheel on this one at all. There are cities all over the country working intentionally with the universities and the business community to set a vision for a tech ecosystem. We have six unicorn companies between Draper and Lehigh. That's half a billion dollar tech companies. That number's growing, too. There's not a single unicorn company in Salt Lake City. That's ridiculous. And I know part of the reason it's ridiculous is a lot of their good talent lives here in the city, and they commute out every day. This is the fastest growing and the highest paid industry in the state. It supports one in seven jobs in this state. We need this industry here, and it helps entities from the state to the business community downtown to the University of Utah to have the kind of talent live, work, and play in this city that they can recruit their next talent, that they can recruit investors.
0: On the flip side of that, not unicorns, small businesses. (laughs) What will your administration do to address the difficulty of doing business as a small business in Salt Lake City?
1: Great question. And Salt Lake City's small business uh, neighborhoods and that presence is, I think, what draws so many of us to live here in Salt Lake City. My neighborhood is the 9th and 9th neighborhood. And if you've been up there lately, you know that 9th South is heavily under construction. And some of my favorite businesses are suffering right now because of access issues and just the perception that they might not be open because of construction. This is a perfect example of why in my administration I will be setting aside a portion of the capital projects that we do. We're talking about a half a percent to one percent of a total project cost to be set aside to support the small businesses that are impacted by that construction. It doesn't take a lot for us to work in synchronicity with those businesses to keep them afloat. This is something that the city of St. Paul uh, in, and Minneapolis have undertaken, and they have a much more robust program that I'm looking into. But we need small businesses to be at the top of mind when we are doing projects in this city, but also in the mayor's cabinet. So I will be looking at a small business czar for Salt Lake City who will be able to integrate and work with economic development, our streets department, public utilities, and all the ways that we end up impacting small businesses.
0: My last question is, what do you hope Salt Lake City looks like four years from now?
1: Four years from now will be 2023. And I hope that we're celebrating 100% renewable energy coming into our city that year. I hope that if we're sitting here on this stage, that 90% of you got here by public transit. Salt Lake City should also have the kind of economic and cultural vibrancy surrounding us that if you want to go get a bite to eat or have a drink with some friends after this that you feel safe walking there in the dark now that the sun has gone down I want Salt Lake City to be a place where you can take a deep breath of clean air in January there is a lot of investment and momentum here and if we have a mayor who knows not only how Salt Lake City works and how the financing can work, and how our taxpayers don't have to be the only thing growing this city, but also knows how to work with others, has a temperament that can stay at the conversation and not take it personally, even when it stinks, we can get more as a city. And I know that I, I believe that I have that kind of expertise and energy to take us there.
0: That's Erin Mendenhall, Salt Lake City Councilwoman and candidate for mayor. We talked with her in a live conversation at Church and State in downtown Salt Lake City earlier this week. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll hear from her opponent, State Senator Luz Escamilla. This is KUER's political podcast, 45 Days.
2: Hey there, I'm Lee Hale, the host of KWR's new podcast, Preach. We dive in to the messy reality of faith.
1: Faith is like riding a river.
2: It flows. My beliefs don't make any sense to me.
1: Sex and God, those are like huge things to be thinking about.
2: So whether you're someone who prays a lot or never prays or only prays when there's turbulence on the airplane, this podcast is for you. Find Preach wherever you listen to podcasts or at preachpod.org.
0: Welcome back to our special episode of 45 Days, KUER's political podcast. I'm Nicole Nixon. We just heard from City Councilwoman Erin Mendenhall about her vision for the city. Next, we'll hear from her opponent, State Senator Luz Escamilla. Escamilla has spent more than a decade representing portions of Westside Salt Lake City and West Valley City in the state legislature. And like Mendenhall, Escamilla is a transplant to Salt Lake City.
2: I was born and raised in Mexico and had um, great parents that value education. As professors themselves in universities in Mexico felt that the best quality of education in the world was in the United States. I used to cross the border every day from Tijuana to San Diego. And um, Salt Lake City was, I think, a natural for them. They felt it was a safe place. And they said, I'll go to the University of Utah. So I moved here in um, 1996. And uh, it's just been wonderful. It's a city that has provided me with opportunities to um, pursue my American dream.
0: So what made you get started in state politics?
2: So this all goes back to my college years, Representative Angela Romero. We went to school together at the University of Utah. We started doing tutoring for limited English-proficient children and organizing communities of color and minority communities. As things were happening in the legislature, we learned that you have to get engaged, and in order to make a difference and have your voice heard, you have to participate. At the same time, we were seeing the limitations of not having representation. So that's where everything started from there.
0: So you were at the center of a bit of controversy this last week. Um, It stems from former Mayor Rocky Anderson. He pointed to your faith as an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He said that Salt Lake City is, and I'm quoting, under threat of having a Mormon mayor. And that sparked some outrage, some back and forth between him and other political observers. I just wanted to give you a chance publicly to respond to any of that if you'd like.
2: So I I don't see someone's faith as a controversy. I actually think people's ability to exercise their faith and practice their faith is a strength of our nation. I'm very blessed to live in a country that allows me to go to church and feel safe. I mean, it's hurtful to see that we still see bigotry in 2019. I think Salt Lake City does not stand behind issues like that, and it's not what we stand for. I'm confident that the voters of Salt Lake City will look into my record. As 11 years of record, it's a lot of votes, and um, they don't align with necessarily where the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is, whether it's medical cannabis, women's reproductive health issues, uh, liquor laws, which are notorious. Um, They're actually I'm on the other side. So I I stand strong and proud of my votes that represent my constituency and that represent data-driven, evidence-based, good public policy.
0: So um, you're running on a platform of sustainability. What does that word mean to you, and what areas of the city do you think are currently
2: unsustainable? We're a capital city. And the growth that we're seeing is causing unintended consequences and is growing pains. Mm -hmm. So a Salt Lake City that's sustainable means a Salt Lake City that, number one, represents all Salt Lake City. And that the prosperity that we're trying to achieve, and that is here and we can get it, and it's possible, It's not only for a certain group of Salt Lake City residents. So when we talk about sustainability from a perspective of affordable housing, um, at that point, you're talking about affordable housing across the entire city, not only pockets of the city. When we talk about sustainability in the sense of um, air quality, that should be sustainability for all Salt Lake City residents in a way that air quality is part of our entire conversation And sustainability when we talk about poverty. And, um, you know, it's a broader definition of sustainability, but I feel it encompasses our environment and our our responsibility towards smart, responsible growth. That is a sustainability in Salt Lake City that I want to see and that I feel I can move forward with that vision.
0: It's a really big idea. Are there specific programs you'd like to start as mayor?
2: Absolutely. So let me start first with the very specific one. If you want to come to Salt Lake City, those businesses need to have jobs that we need to see how much they're paying. In Salt Lake City right now, you need to make $24 an hour in order to afford rent. I want to make sure that we're incentivizing and providing support to businesses that want to bring those type of jobs with those type of wages um, that are going to provide health care and that are going to provide child care. So that is one example. The other one, you talk about sustainability with regards to education and the role of the city. Well, there is one. We don't have a universal preschool in our state or a universal kindergarten, for that matter. The role of, the, I think, the mayor and the city is to lead on the conversation, just another example, after-school programs. We want evidence-based um, data-driven after-school programs? How do you expect parents to have, you know, be productive members of our community and be able to work and be um, full productive members at their jobs when they are still concerned about the safety of their children and where they are after school? So those are ideas where sustainability can be um, implemented, and then I th- see the mayor being the leader and making sure those are implemented. So, One of the biggest issues always that comes up
0: in every election is air quality, of course. Um, What can the city do to make a noticeable difference on air quality, particularly as the state as a whole and the city um, grow in population over the next few decades?
2: So the air quality conversation is critical, and it's not a a new issue for me. I've run legislation. So one that we need to do that the city has the ability to have an impact um, is – the adequate data collection of our air quality. And you may think we are collecting uh, correct data. There's a lot of gaps. I passed legislation to put it in the inland port area because as those things are moving along, we need to start creating a baseline that includes the airport. We've also put um, research-grade data collection parameters within our UTA tracks. With that data, now school districts are making day-to-day decisions on what to do with the children. So you don't get kids to play outside uh, if, the, if the air quality in that specific area is bad. And you will say, well, what does that change? Number one is an intervention because we're in a crisis. So we are having to do intervention pieces. So right now, at least we can intervene and make those policy decisions. But to answer your question in terms of policy, is in collaboration with the state. And the state needs to see how important it is to have a successful um, great capital city. And I don't think we have that buy-in yet. I think that's where I can go and, and work with my colleagues that I have a, already record working with them and passing legislation and get it, things done. Air quality will be one that needs to be tackled right away. The other one is um, our future collaboration with Rocky Mountain Power as we move towards you know, uh, being uh, carbon-free by 2030, which is a goal that I think all, everyone that's in Salt Lake City agrees that we need to do it as soon as possible. We all are affected by air quality. My three-year-old has asthma, and there's the two of us. I was going to
0: ask about um, transportation and cars because that is another big contributor to the Wasatch Front's air quality problem. Um, we got an audience question. Would you be open to designating any streets to only alternative modes of transportation, such as bicycles, scooters, buses, et cetera, um, in order to get people out of cars again, particularly as the area
2: grows so much? I believe there is the ability to um, tackle all the different issues within our transportation system. One is active transportation, and how do we promote more people get off cars that are creating about... 38% 38% of our emissions right now. You know, the city had a master transit plan, and I think that plan makes sense. And they just started implementation this August, makes sense, and we should move forward with that. I will make some tweaks to some of that part of the plan. To designate one street, I, I will want to see a lot of feedback from the community. Not everyone has the same opportunities to even access public transit to um, if you're a single mom in a vehicle coming from the west side of Salt Lake City. It takes me an hour and a half. So I want to be very responsive of ending the sustainable solution to all Salt Lake City residents. I think the key here is how do we work with, A, funding, because it's all about money. And part of our budget situation is Salt Lake City, we welcome twice as many people to our city every day as the capital city that we are. And our terrain where in our roads and on our systems, you know, our infrastructure is, is, is really big. And we need, again, a better partnership with the state, but it will be with very careful consideration to make sure that we're uh, addressing all of the needs of the different people in Salt Lake City. But ideally, we want to move into more active transportation through a safe, uh, affordable, and um, convenient way. I want to
0: talk about the Inland Port, because this has become a major controversy, a big issue in the mayoral race. They're calling it the biggest economic project in a generation. It's in the very early planning stages, but a lot of local officials oppose the Inland Port, including you. Why don't you think this project would be good for Salt Lake City or for the Senate district you represent?
2: So I want to make sure that we're very clear that this conversation was happening for years in different versions, actually, the city at one point, Salt Lake City themselves, were proposing that to be a, some sort of a port in there. So let me tell you now why I opposed that from day one. So it actually goes back to opposing the state prison. <laughs> which was a really big mistake that is now costing hundreds of millions of dollars to the state legislature, and um, my colleagues, um, especially representatives on the west side of, of Salt Lake City, we oppose this, and of course opposing a lack of transparency lack of open process for the community that was directly impacted by this, and that is the part where I live, which is Rose Park, your West Point area is actually where I live. How do we mitigate an impact like that in terms of our uh, congestion, uh, in terms of transportation? Salt Lake City sees more semi-trucks than any other part in the the country, really. We're like it per capita. And we know what it means to have that air quality be impacted, the worst air quality in the entire region. So when this project that came and, you know, the fighting between the city, which created a big problem, the dissonance between council and mayor's office, and then the legislature was like the perfect storm for something horrible to happen. We are now dealing with this. So, yeah, I oppose due to the lack of um, environmental mitigation pieces and then, obviously, they take over land use authority and the tax increments. I mean, that that's a slap in the face to every Salt Lake City resident, and it's not the way to do it. And then, uh, of course, takes every power away from Salt Lake City, and we're still responsible to provide services to them. So it <laughs> makes no sense. So. What do we do now moving forward? And I, one, we have a lawsuit. Hopefully we get some assistance from our judicial branch that says, no, this is a big overreach on the state legislature and the state as a whole, and municipalities have certain protections. But if that's not the case, we need to be very proactive to mitigate as much as we can in that area. I hope if and when elected, I could be the one that's pushing to responsible growth as much as we can, but we need to fight till the end to make sure that development doesn't take place as it's being planned right now under this no tax increment for the city, no land use authority, and the city's still responsible for everything in that area.
0: You've talked a lot about equity across the city in your campaign, Um, and you say that the west side of Salt Lake City is often overlooked, in what ways have you seen the West Side forgotten or, or brushed aside in the past, and how would you hope to change that as mayor?
2: So, there's search, what we call social determinants of health, but you can check by zip codes where you have the biggest achievement gap numbers, um, healthcare access, um, medical conditions, whether the air quality, um, there's many factors that come into place. I think, I mean, even having after-school programs, many of the after-school programs are happening on east of I-15 or 300 West, basically, and we only have youth programs uh, west of 300 West right now. I think the city can help a lot in bringing equity, for example, in the grid on our transportation system. This master plan uh, that I mentioned before is moving towards that direction. Great. Let's keep on moving that process so we bring equity uh, into issues like transportation, uh, addressing our issues of now the homelessness piece. The West Side has more um, fast food restaurants than any other part of the city per capita, but it doesn't have access to uh, fresh vegetables and fruits like other places. Those are part of that sustainability conversation. And how do we have communities in the West Side They usually do not participate on the conversation of air quality. How do we now bring tools for them to have an opportunity to reduce their, uh, their footprint? So it's being responsive to the diversity that makes us so rich, but understanding that those diversities also bring uh, pieces of inequality at the same time.
0: So I want to go to homelessness now. It's been a tough year for the homeless shelters in the area. Um, There were supposed to be three open by now. There are two that are about there. One in South Salt Lake has had several construction delays, and the road home was supposed to be closed a few months ago, but it's still operating until all three of those shelters open. This whole issue has been a very large collaboration Between the city and the county and the state and nonprofits. What sort of responsibility do you think the city has when it comes to housing people and giving people a a place to sleep at night,
2: especially when the nights start getting colder? So the the homelessness issue, it's a statewide issue. Um, Obviously, Salt Lake City gets, I think, the biggest impact because we have we house a lot of our Services, Direct services for individuals experiencing homelessness happen to be here in Salt Lake City. Where we are in, in the state is, um, there is thing is to recognize that there's different populations within the many communities experiencing homelessness. We cannot have a one solution for everyone. It's not going to work. So the city has a big role because, hey, number one, the number one um, responsibility of the city is public safety. And this situation is causing public safety um, issues across the city. Rio Grande operation comes in. The one they did tackle a lot of a very um, concerning and scary criminal element, but that's not everyone, of course. So um, then we had this revolving door with our jails, and if we don't have those wraparound services, that mental health, substance abuse intervention, that it actually follows that person so we can account for them and help them through the whole process, it's again another revolving door. So what I've been talking about is, is we need to strengthen that collaboration between the state and the county and the city. One thing we need to understand, one, we just ranked 51 out of 51 in the nation, so 50 states plus the District of Columbia, the worst when it comes to mental health for adults. That gap is gonna hurt us. So, I think the city has the following role. One is to uh, follow and have those wraparound services through very strong case management for people that have suffered from chronic homelessness. So, I think there needs to be a balance between some of the enforcement that we have, give the tools to law enforcement so they can do some of the enforcement that they don't have right now. It's finding that balance, but I think we can do it if you have the right leader coordinating with the state, with the county, and I feel with my relationships both with the state legislature and county, we can certainly do that.
0: We had a listener question on this topic. This comes from Amy. What will be your litmus test for whether the new homeless resource center model is meeting the needs of our city? And if you determine that there aren't enough beds
2: in this new model, what would be your plan going forward? So right now, as we start a winter, pretty soon here, there's not enough beds. I believe that um, smaller sites is actually the right approach, and I think data shows that, but we 're not ready because we haven 't transitioned to the full service component, so those sites are supposed to be moving people faster out of the emergency shelter support system. The idea is that you put them in transitional housing and temporary housing, whether that is single unit occupancies or some apartments i mean We're supposed to move them faster, but without, we haven't started that process, so we need some emergency shelter for the winter. I believe part of that conversation could be uh, community Catholic services, which is right across from the road home. What's the test? Well, we're going to have to get that data that shows us that people are moving into that transitional housing, and that way then they can start using those resource centers and reduce the impact on emergency sheltering, uh, but we need a place for this winter. No matter what, we're going to need at least 200 beds where people can stay.
0: So I want to uh, move to growth now. So how do you plan to balance the fact that the state is growing and the city is growing and this need for housing, um, especially affordable housing, with the city's
2: residential areas? Growing pains are real, and we are. it's not going to be the same than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. you think about it, Building places and growth is mostly going to be, you know, a lot of it will be on the West, just because that's where more space is. I also want to be very respectful of the communities that have their own sense of community and their own sense of uh, pieces in, in their area that want, they want to maintain. But we need to be able to offer solutions across the city. But it has to be that there is enough open process for conversation and the community feels they're being heard. I want to empower communities by taking City Hall to neighborhoods. We have meetings where we can provide childcare so parents can participate. I want a City Hall that is more, um, you know, constituency oriented. I believe the city should be in the business of providing great customer service to constituents and Salt Lake City residents.
0: There's an audience question What is the most realistic and effective way to keep housing prices affordable in Salt Lake City?
2: so we 're having the conversation about affordability in housing is <clears throat> there 's complexities to that. The market is driving our economy is driving, and the market drives a lot of these prices. but there are pieces that I think the city can do or people can do to uh, bring pieces of intervention so one. Those developers that want to develop in Salt Lake City, they want to get part of our incentives, if they want to get our support and be team uh, players with us, that they have to have an X percentage of affordable housing in their units, and they have to be included in all their units. We need to also think about families. So affordability in terms of what is my units that are available, and is, is there enough diversity of units for all the things that we want to bring to Salt Lake City? But also we want to start talking about wages. We need to start addressing also what type of jobs we have in our city, and I think the city can lead in some of those and put their money where their mouth is and walk the talk.
0: Matt in the audience asked, how will you attract tech companies
2: to relocate and stay downtown? Silicon Slopes needs to be in Salt Lake City. (laughs) Nothing against the good point of the mountain and Lehigh, um, but it belongs here, and we need to do better to attract uh, tech companies our values, I think, match many of these tech companies. Part of it is how friendly the city is to businesses. Our incentives also are, are critical. Um, there is space to do things in, in Salt Lake City. I mean, we, there's conversation of creating an innovation technology district uh, southwest of the, of the city. I feel that would be great. We have great support with the research park that we have in the, not only the University of Utah, we have Salt Lake Community College, West Point um, campus and Salt Lake campus and the downtown campus. So we have already education uh, facilities and institutions that are helping us to really start putting great workers uh, for this type of, of businesses and companies, but we need to make it attractive. Part of making Salt Lake City attractive is talking about all the amenities of Salt Lake City. So one, obviously, it's our nightlife, and uh, that's one of the biggest things that we can attract with our downtown. And I've been, because of my work at Science Bank and participating with, you know, collaborating with EDCU Utah, we look into that when businesses are checking between Seattle, Salt Lake City, or other parts of the country where they're going to relocate. They're like, ugh, homelessness. Air quality. A business came in, they fly in, it's like, wait, what is this? Oh, we're having a bad inversion day. Okay, we're leaving. <laughs> Thank you. This is not what we want. And education. What a great thing would be if your mayor collaborates with the Salt Lake City School District and goes and talks about the importance of making Salt Lake City that strong. Because of our many families that are living in Salt Lake City, we're losing kids in a very high rate. You need a mayor, you need a council, you need our Salt Lake City legislators that represent us there, and um, our Salt Lake City District School Board and Administration to work together, collaborate, and go to the Legislature and say we need more funding. Is that sustainability? Because it's having all of those come together, and they're not isolated silos. For someone, the education of their kids is critical. The safety for them to walk to the park, access to open space, obviously, um, being able to breathe quality air—all uh, of that, you know, are part of what makes Salt Lake City a great city, and if we're not careful, we can certainly be in in a very difficult, more difficult than where we are right now. One more audience question, then I have one final question for you.
0: So this person says that you're such a great senator and advocate on the Hill, but they want to know what your motivation is for shifting from the Hill to local office. What can you do as
2: Salt Lake City Mayor that you can't do as a legislator? Let me start by saying I, I love legislative work and I'm a policy geek, so you can see me. I get really excited about these issues from a policy perspective. But my 11 years as a legislator, part of my frustration was not being able to impact the city I was representing more. And it was uh, part of it was the dissonance in between that communication with the state and the collaboration piece. I want to see a solid city that collaborates with the state and the county, and I think it's possible. With my years of experience, I'm a consensus builder. I believe that we can get things done if we work together, and that's what I'm very interested in doing. So my last question is, what do you hope Salt Lake City looks like four years from now? What areas do you hope to make a difference on if you are elected? If and when elected, I feel we will have a Salt Lake City that will be the proud capital city of the state of Utah. I think that there is ways we can do that, and that will change the way we, we work with the state and the county and other municipalities. I'm a very data-driven person. I want to be more data-driven so the community feels like they can see how the needle is moving. I want all of you to feel that you can go to City Hall and feel that you're being served and that the city is working for you and you're not asking for favors. And I, that's my vision. I want this, in, you know, a city that's inclusive, that feel like you can feel you're part of the city. And and that's how I see City Hall for the next four years, if and when elected.
0: That's Luz Escamilla, Democratic state senator and candidate for Salt Lake City mayor. She spoke with us at the business incubator Church and State in downtown Salt Lake City in front of a live audience. We also heard from her opponent, Erin Mendenhall, earlier in the episode. You can hear our full interviews with both candidates at KUER.org. Whether you're a resident of Salt Lake City or another city and you've just been listening to this for fun, don't forget to vote in the municipal elections on November 5th. 45 Days is a production of KUER News. Thanks to Church and State for hosting us for this episode. Thanks also to KUER's Joel Meyer, Roddy Nickpour, Brian Albers, Ali Viarda, and Elaine Clark. I'm Nicole Nixon. See you soon.